just past 7 o'clock, and we are getting ready. It's time for Iron Sports. This is the True Oldies channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. Going to be a fantastic show. And Ira, unfortunately... You're not in studio with me, but there's a very good reason for that. You've been uh, you've been pretty busy these past couple of days. Where are you? I'm in the French Quarter in New Orleans, Louisiana, in an amazing house that sits with a pool. It's pretty cool, right in the middle of the French Quarter on Charter Street, and uh, getting ready to come into the uh, national to see the national championship game tonight between North Carolina and Kansas. I was there Saturday night. I was at concerts and festivals on Sunday. This is a huge event. This has been great. And uh, uh, But now I'm headed to the national championship game in a couple hours. We're taping the show just a couple hours early and then give me time to, to get in there to go to the game. And you did more uh, while you were in West Palm. It seemed like you were at a baseball game pretty much every day. I went to two baseball games. I went to tennis and now basketball all in one week. I mean, it's, a, it's amazing. I mean, I really hit almost every sport, but yeah, I got two spring training games in. I went to the tennis on Thursday and saw amazing matches from 12 to, to almost midnight. And so it was really good. And, uh, and now here for basketball and certainly saw those games on Saturday. Uh, you know, it's one game average, I would say the Kansas Nova game was exciting but not that much but certainly the duke no the uh, duke carolina game lived up to every billing you would want uh just an amazing epic they will be talking about this game i literally think for 50 years like after a long gone people are going to remember that game and you like to be at games like that like michael jordan's last shot you know they're going to say duke carolina final four game that's what they're going to say it's going to be one of those games that people will talk about forever and you were uh, fortunate enough to be a part of it. We'll talk more about that in just a couple of minutes. But Ira, you know, you mentioned it. You know, it's been a busy week for you, but this is really a great week for sports fans. I mean, in addition to getting the end of March Madness, you know, finally wrapping up here at the beginning of April, by the time we do our show next Monday night, baseball will have started. The Masters will probably be finished. This is a great time. I think the beginning of April is underrated. Well, I think because baseball's pushed back a little bit to make it, but they think you're going to have the Masters with Tiger teeing it up probably, and then you're going to have uh, you have certainly the March Madness and the Final Four, NBA season about ending with the playoffs about to start. There's a lot coming. You know, this is this is major. This is just tremendous, and there's just so much sports right now. I think it's just, that's what I love everything about it, and I like the different types of sports, and I, I'm pumped for baseball season going to the spring training. There's a good chance we weren't going to have baseball this year, so at least to start in April, and I think it was great that they started. They're going to be able to play for Jackie Robinson Day on the 15th of April, so um, it's exciting. You know, everybody's O and O when the season starts, so it's a long season. But we have the national championship game, and of course, uh, the biggest golf tournament every year is the Masters. So let's talk about how you got to New Orleans. You, you knew, you know, from from the time that this, uh, the time that Duke moved through, you were probably going to be there regardless. But with Duke in, you were definitely going to be there. How'd you get there? Well, I just you know what, the, it's so funny about this game because. There's no, it, I've been to New Orleans three times for events uh, in terms of, I was at the Steelers Saints game. I was at the game where the Rams played the Saints in the playoffs a little few months later where the Rams, was the, the interference call back, you know, back and forth and, and where they lost the Saints, lose the game. And then I was at the national championship game between LSU and Clemson. And in both, all those games, I was able to get hotel rooms. It was easy, easy to fly in, fly out. But remember, this is the final four. So you have four teams, no local teams. So in those games, there's always the LSU or the New Orleans local component. 
every hotel room in the city has been booked. You can't find a hotel room. Literally, it was like 40, 45 miles out of the city. You could not get a plane in this airport, nothing. Everything was booked. So, I mean, that's what was great. And it was so, it's so cool to be here. What an atmosphere to have all this, like the Greenville. We were talking about Greenville, South Carolina, with all the people walking around. You can see everybody from uh, the Villanova, the Kansas, the Duke fans. I can't tell you how many Carolina fans have been yelling at me the whole time after the game yesterday. <laughs> like, why are you still wearing your Duke stuff? And I think that's great. I love it. And it's just so, it's a perfect, this is the perfect venue for the Final Four. Almost should be here like every year if they have, you know, if they have more hotel rooms than almost anyone but Vegas here. And, uh, but it's been tremendous to get here. But just, but just driving there, um, I, I, I decided just to drive on uh, Friday night uh, halfway and then stayed at past Tallahassee. And then the Saturday morning drove in, got there, got my, went online and was, Buying at the Holiday Inn Express and the ticket prices. I learned my lesson from Golden State. I, I, I still don't have a ticket for today's game. I'm going to wait till the last second. The prices dropped tremendously. I mean, I sat for, I would say, five, six hundred dollars. I'm sitting and the guy next to me said, spend like ten, fifteen thousand for the ticket right next to me. So don't I learn my lesson not to buy a ticket early. And I knew that the prices were going to drop. But uh, the drive was good. I listened to the Lakers Pelicans game, women's semifinals. A couple interesting things that I saw. I've never been to Mobile, Alabama. I drove through that. And then uh, how about I go to Florida? When I'm past Florida, Gainesville, I saw billboards for Florida football season tickets. I'm telling you, I've never seen Penn State football season tickets ever <laughs> advertised. I've never seen Michigan. I've never seen Ohio State. I've never seen Alabama. So if you're saying, you put a, I understand FAU needs it and Miami Hurricanes, we realize, can put billboards up. But if you're supposed to be this elite football program school and you have to put a billboard to sell season tickets, I don't think that's good. Yeah, no, that's not the best look. I never thought about it like that. But, yeah, Penn State and Ohio State are not advertising to be season ticket holders. That, that's a little strange. I, I, wouldn't, um, I wouldn't have expected that. It's Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. So, you know, you, you're talking about getting there, and we didn't know, you know, you, you were maybe going to fly, but you did end up driving. One of the things that stood out to me was that you mentioned last week, and it's one of the things that we love this show for, is because we get to learn kind of the ins and outs from you. And you were saying... You know, I'm not going to go crazy on seats here. And granted, if the guy next to you spent 10 times more than you, you, you did good regardless. But your seats looked really, really good. And you can see all this at Ira on Sports across social media. You didn't plan on getting great seats, but it turned out you had pretty good seats, it looked like. There are how many millions are how many millions? Thousands of basketball games a year. Only three are played in an arena, which are the semifinal four and the championship game. So there were 70,000 fans there. I mean, I've been to Milwaukee for the NBA Finals, Phoenix for the NBA Finals. You're playing in an 18, 20,000 seat arena. You're not playing in this huge arena. What happens is that the prices, if you just want to go there, they, they, you know, I saw get-in prices were like six, $700 to get in. I'm like, they have to go down. There's no way there could be that many people that, that are going to go in. And the New Orleans fans, like, if you live in New Orleans, you're not going to, like, show up. Like, if this was in New York, people might say, you know, I have nothing to do. Let's just go to the game. Like, people <laughs> in New Orleans, they, they don't go to those, do that. So what happened is that I knew those prices were going to drop. I said, I'm just going to buy a ticket. I'm just going to get in. I know I'm just going to get in to be in the venue because – Either you sit in a good seat like where I sat, 24 rows up, center, like in that center area, cause it, or you, you either sit in those seats or you sit uh, like in just farther back and it's blocked and, you're, and the court is in the middle of the field. It actually goes from the end zone to the end, the up opposite way that a football stadium goes. So that's one of the things, you know, that's the difficult thing in terms of putting, you know, a stadium together and doing it that way and making the seats bad. But I figured the seats were going to drop and I, I played that correctly. They dropped tremendously. I mean, it was just, it was just going and I waited. I'd never waited this long, but I knew that the Carolina, uh, 
Um, I mean, so I knew the Nova Kansas game was first. I'm like, oh, if I missed like the first few minutes of it, that's okay because I'm here <laughs> for you know Duke and Carolina. And at eight by eight or whatever time it was, the time before the game, about a half an hour before, I, the prices just totally plummeted. You could have walked into the game for seventy five dollars just to get a ticket in there, wow. and uh, that's what that's how uh, for the it just I saw where the prices were dropping, and I didn't even check. I rushed over. I'm sure they dropped even further once the tip off happened. But I mean, I, did, I was standing right next to the arena, then I ran over, I bought the ticket, got in, and when I showed up at the arena, there was lines everywhere in the front. I'm like, oh, I'm going to be in a line forever. But I remembered, as we got to use your experience, I remembered going to the Saints and everything, and there's these back entrances to Superdome <laughs> on the other side. No one stands there. So I walked around the arena. There was not a person in line. You just walked in. Some people said, oh, I waited in line for 40 minutes, 45 minutes. I waited in line for a second and just went right in. So You should be like a tour guide for in. these events. <laughs> Charge people. You can show them back entrances and stuff like that because you've done so well with it. Yeah, so that was, I, I will. I mean, I could potentially, but it was hard. Like, I was nervous myself when you go in there. And then you walked in, and then you have to fight through the crowds and go through everything and, and get to the seat. And remember, you're, the seats are temporary, so you have to go up and down. Like, you're in the lower level, but they're like fake seats inside a stadium. And the, there's no space for your legs at all. You're right on top of everything. And the rows were so long. It was crazy. And then what's another crazy thing about the whole place? I mean, when you walk in, and I, and I walked in late, and I walked in like a minute before the dip off. And it was just total chaos. There it was so much fun to be there and to like, have that happen. And uh, but it was so funny. The guy next to me was like talking on his phone, but in a speakerphone way with the speed with the phone outside. So it was just hilarious that he was talking with his phone and holding his phone in my face. I'm trying to get you see. I lost some great pictures because his phone is out there and he's talking. So it was very funny. Oh, that, but, that, that's uh, the worst. So it was, it was just, <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. But it was that. And then there were. There was a guy in front of me, I would call him like the big torso guy. You know, it's so funny. Sometimes you go to these games and you see people and they just like are blocking you the entire time. And then when they stand up, they're really not that tall. And it was, that was what, it was just so funny to see him, you know, like, you know, just, I couldn't really see through. And it was just, it was just, it was, it was, it was, it was hilarious to see that. So let's talk about the game itself. Um, so the first game of the evening was going to be Villanova and Kansas. And I, re- I know a lot of people really liked Villanova in this game. The, the, the line Kansas was favored by a little, but there was plenty of pundits and pros picking Villanova to win this game, and it really wasn't that close. No, I didn't see it. I know the line was four. I was totally shocked, but without their, without Justin Moore, their uh, star forward, I just felt that Kansas was going to be able to dominate the boards, and more than that, just get the ball inside, and that's what happened. You know, the game started. It was, it was the beginning of the game, and i got to give Nova credit. I'm going to give Nova credit. They didn't give up. I thought that when they they went down 11 to 16 and 5, 26 to 11, and a boggy for Kansas had four three pointers in the first 10 minutes. It was 38 19 with four minutes left in the half. This game felt more like it was going to be a 30 point halftime lead than a, than less than it was. But then at the end of that first half, Colin Gillespie been how many championship games he's played and he played in one but he's been there in terms of winning a national championship he had two threes another basket and that 10-0 run at the end of the first half was key that cut the lead to 40 to 29 and that really that i think it let villanova still think they had a chance to win the game otherwise that game i mean in college basketball it's not like the pros if you're down by 25 or 30 you're not coming back only Baylor and Carolina would have a game as crazy as that one but the point is that it was the, it would be almost impossible to come back and uh but it was like that was where they did in the second half uh Gillespie and Agbagi traded threes and Kansas got the lead back to 16 but then that's where Nova they just wouldn't give in I mean they cut the lead with 14 minutes left back to eight and then they traded at one point 
uh, Nova got hot. They were scoring basket after basket. This is what hurt Nova. If they were sort of in the game, I felt like they would. They never were in the possession where they put it to like a two or three point game. It was still this lead where Kansas was able to miss a couple shots, but not you know go away from it. And then uh, it was. I thought a lesser team than Kansas might even fold it. But Kansas, I give them credit. Hung in there. It was sixty four fifty eight. Six minutes left. Christian Brown then for Kansas made two threes. He said he hadn't made anything all day, and he just said, I just decided I'm just going to throw the ball up and hope <laughs> it goes in. I don't know if that's a, the right strategy to have in a champion in a semifinal matchup, but they won 75. They ended up taking a 16-point lead with three minutes left. Um, Nova shot. They needed to shoot 50%. They shot 38%, 13 for 31 from the three. Kansas shot 54%. McCormick, the center for Kansas, was awesome. 25 points, nine rebounds. Like Boggy, 21 points. Kansas only goes, it's going to be interesting about this game tonight. Kansas goes five people deep, six people deep with three-man margin. And so does Carolina goes like almost five people deep. That's about it. So you're just going to see teams with, don't look for a lot of depth. Don't look for benches, benches, bench play to come in. This is going to be, they have Agabi, Wilson, Harris, and Braun, and McCormick. And then Remy marching off the bench. That's it. And uh, but I, I got to give Nova credit. They, Jay Wright is a phenomenal coach. He took a team that was probably overmatched for this and yeah. did really, really well. So give him total credit for how well they played in that game. It's Iron Sports Truly Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. So let's go to the next one, Ira. And it's like you said. I mean, first of all, it was great to uh, you know follow along with you at Ira on Sports Instagram, uh, Facebook, and Twitter. Got some great pictures here. But this was a game that yeah, I, I think 20, 30 years from now, it'll still be talking about. That great game, that matchup between Duke and UNC in the Final Four. First time they'd ever met in the tournament. The game lived up to the hype, Ira. I know it didn't go the way that you probably wanted it to or, or any Duke fan, but, man, it was an exciting game. And North Carolina, they kind of showed that they're a little bit of a team of destiny uh, so far in this late-season run that they've put on. Regardless, I'm, I'm so happy for you to be there because this game was great. You know what's weird about this game, and I was thinking about it today? I think that if Carolina loses, you're there. First of all, they're an AC. They were lucky. A month ago, people would think they were getting the tournament. Someone like me said no. I mean, they were good enough. I thought the ACC was, well, I give it enough respect. But the point is, they have now beat Coach K in his final game at home in front of 90 Duke players. They just beat North Carolina. They met in the 50s in the NIT tournament, but the first time in the NCAA tournament they've ever met. They meet in the semifinals. They beat Duke again. Duke could beat Carolina the next 50 times in a row. They could go 50-0, <laughs> yeah. and they're going to still bring these two games up. And North Carolina could lose the national championship. Could you imagine a team like North Carolina with all the national championships they won, everything done, and they would still – they're going to be happy. They're like, I lost the national championship, but we beat Duke. We beat Duke, and we beat Duke in the semifinals on Coach K's. It was the, the whole Coach K thing, and I think that's what makes it so great for Carolina. I mean, Carolina, to me – you want to talk about a team playing loose? This is house money. Kansas, I think, has more pressure than Carolina. The, the line is four, which I think is crazy. But on the end, at Carolina, now the question is, did Carolina celebrate by beating Duke too much? Are they so relaxed? But in the end, this, is, this game will, will be reminded every Duke fan forever. I just can't, For the rest of my life, Carolina's going to say, oh, remember we beat you in the NCAA tournament? Remember we beat you in Coach K's last game at Cameron? That's all they're going to remember. I don't care about the other wins. Carol, Duke could beat Carolina 100 to nothing. They're still going to bring up those victories because th- that it was, that's why this game, with all my Duke friends were calling me like, I'm nervous. We better not lose this game. And I think the players played a little like that. I do. I, I, think, I think that this Carolina got into Duke's head, and that's what, uh, one of the things why I think Duke had played this game, unlike the other three games before this that, that count, not the Cal State Fuller, the Michigan State, the Texas Tech, and the Arkansas game. Duke reverted back to best and bad old habits. I think it cost him the game. So let's talk about uh, how it went down and how we got to this, uh, this final score with uh, UNC moving on to the national championship. 
Yeah, by four, one by four, eighty-one seventy-seven. The game started with four air balls, <laughs> and that's what I felt was weird in this game. Is that it's so weird when you look at the you're shooting in an arena and it's past. So I, teams that depend on shooting. So I thought it was going to hurt Carolina because they depend on this three-point shooting, don't go inside, and, it, and it's so hard to shoot. I remember used to go to see a normal basket with arenas back there. It is so, like, you're shooting, like, on the, on the moon somewhere, and that's why it's so hard to shoot from outside shot. You see people, they don't play in arenas. Some teams, coaches are smart. They actually schedule games in domes in the year just to get teams used to that. Uh, but Mark Williams for Duke, the, tar, the star center, started with a dunk, another dunk, and then Brady Manick for uh, North Carolina missed two threes to start the game, and he's the one that was so just – dominating for them with Caleb Love. Those two have been really carrying this Carolina team and making threes. I'm like, man, it looks so off. Williams is inside. Everything looks great. And, uh, uh, but, then, but then Williams fouled out. Uh, fouled, not fouled out, but he got two fouls early with 15-38. They weren't good calls. They weren't stupid calls. Stupid on Williams to commit them. But Coach K took him out of the game, and then suddenly that gave UNC a chance to go uh, get on some sort of lead, you know, stay in the game and do those things. And A.J. Griffin for Duke is one, their one outside shooter. He was missing just like Manic. He couldn't shoot. And uh, Duke was up 24-18 with eight minutes left in the first half. Uh, and uh, uh, and it was, at that point, it was like, okay, well, Duke is still in the game, but you're hoping them – you're seeing – Caleb Lug was not shooting for Carolina. R.J. Davis is playing great. Manic can't shoot. And, uh, uh, and, and, and Bocart, their stars is getting rebounds but not really dominating. I'm like, okay, I still feel good about this. And uh, that was 34-28 with a minute, 32 left. And this is where I think some of this happened. R.J. Davis hit a key jumper. That cut it. And then Caleb Love got a layup, made it 34-32. Uh, and then, uh, and then, and then, it, then Duke had a turnover. A.J. Griffin shot an air ball. Brady Manick made a three to make it 34-34. Duke scored at the end. But I felt like there was at the end of that first half, I thought Duke could get like a good like eight, nine-point lead. Instead, it's 37-34. Not that great. And I'm getting nervous. I mean, you look at the game. I said on my Instagram, I, you know, I did like an Instagram right at halftime. I'm like, Caleb Love has scored eight points. Brady Manick has done absolutely nothing. Duke is only up three points. Like, this is not good. And I didn't like that Mark Williams, was, they weren't getting the ball to Mark Williams inside for Duke. So I was concerned about that. So I'm a North Carolina fan. And I'm sitting a bunch with North Carolina fans. They feel confident about the second half. And as a Duke fan, I'm leading, we're leading, and I'm nervous about the second half. No, I, I agree with you. And you should have been. And this was, you kind of knew that this was going to, already at this point in the game, you're like, this is going to come down to something epic at the end. This is going to be, you know, some team is going to have a, a stroke of brilliance here to go on and steal this. So what happened next? Well, see, in the second half, this is where Jeremy Roach, who I've been lauding plaudits for the last two weeks, I feel like it just, the Duke, what has been their problem? Their guards shoot threes. They don't get the ball to Bonchero. This is the, this is the whole idea. They've lost, left national championships on the table. They, Zion Williams should get the ball in the second half. He's your star player. He can't be guarded. Put him inside. They get him, get him the ball. He has to be fed the ball. He has to be passed the ball. Don't take threes. And maybe at the last second of the shot clock is it. But the same thing when I saw with Grand Hill. I mean, Grand Hill, that game when they lost to Arkansas, the National Championship game, 20-some years ago, there were 25 years ago, the same thing happened with Grand Hill. They didn't, that Chris Collins wouldn't pass him the ball and get Grand Hill the ball. He took as many shots as, as Collins did, or Collins took more, and other players, Cherry Parks, hit more shots than Grand Hill. And that's just been the dude's problem, is when their guards are more distributors, but then when the game gets very high-pressured, the guards end up shooting the ball and rarely have 
Duke's guards been their star player. Jay Williams, who's seen on ESPN all the time, he was a star player. He should shoot the ball. But generally, you want not Jeremy Roach shooting the ball, who, or even Trevor Kills, the other guard. You want Bonchero because they couldn't stop Bonchero. And especially when Baycott had foul, was getting in sort of in foul trouble, they should have had Bonchero go, which he did again the other games. What I say about the Arkansas Texas end game, when Duke was in trouble and down five, uh, Texas Tech and uh, Michigan State, they went to Bonchero inside, working through. This time, Jeremy Roach hits the shoots threes, those things. I mean, it was like one of those things where Duke, the weird thing about this is that um, Duke started out 41-30. Williams had a dunk, Bonchero had a dunk. Duke's up 41-34 in the first minute of the second half. I'm like, Duke's running away with this game. And then, so, then Caleb Love, just most clutch performer, he just hits a three. Then Jeremy Roach comes back and misses a three. And then Love makes another three. Then suddenly it's 41-40. Manic hits a three. Love's had a drive. Suddenly Carolina, which was down seven, goes on an 11-0 run. And that's sort of, now we have a game. Now it's game time. Now whatever. And I guess in the Duke game, Duke sort of like let Carolina run away with the game. But I got to give them credit. Keels made a shot to stop the bleeding. But then, uh, then Mark Williams committed another foul of 14-20. It's third foul. So he's out of the game. But then it was like, it was one of those things that was just, you know, with 55-55, with 11 minutes to go, timeout. And uh, then they come out of that timeout, and North Carolina takes a five-point lead. It seems like every time there's a timeout, Carolina came out with a better play. Got to give Hubert Davis credit with that. Uh, but Duke took back the lead. With seven minutes ago, Trevor Creels made a layup. And then uh, Brady Manick, who had a terrible game, missed two free throws. But Duke's free throws cost him, but, but Manick was missing free throws. But then it was like tied 67, 67. And then love it, love every time. Like whenever Bonchero made only one or two, he was up 68, 67. Cal Love drives in, makes it 69-68, gives Carolina the lead. And then there's this one key possession. Bonchero missed a shot. Wendell Moore missed a shot. Roach then, instead of just settling the offense down, throws a miss, an ill-advised three. And suddenly, it was like that was a chance to take a lead. And then it was like, you know, then Manic got made one of two foul shots. He was missing everything all day. 70-68 with 229 left. Um, but Kills, look, this is where the big point. Kills hit a three, put Duke up by one. Manic comes down, puts Carolina up by two. And then Wendell Moore comes back and puts Duke up by one with a minute 24 to go. And then Jeremy Roach commits a stupid foul, like on R.J. Davis, where he makes two free throws, takes the lead. Then Duke, instead of getting the ball to Bonchero, working on, they throw it to Williams. And it wasn't even a good position for him to have the ball to do anything. He gets fouled, and he misses two free throws. <laughs> and then I have this on my tape. I'm on the video. Caleb Love comes down and drains the, the shot of the tournament. He makes a three. They're up, they're up by one. They come down with 28 seconds to go. He makes the three. Uh, Moore makes it quick, too. And, uh, but then it was like, at the end of the game, kills. It was funny. Kills. They were down 79-76. Kills drives. And in the NBA, that would have been an and-one foul because he got fouled, and then he put the ball. It was like James Harden's mm-hmm. foul, made it. But not in there. They had to go to the foul line. And it was like it, it, UNC was making their foul shots there at the end, and Duke didn't. But it was, it was I feel like Williams missing the two foul shots. But it's generally, it was Roach taking those threes that did work. And, uh, not, and Caleb Love, 11 for 20, 28 points. He had 20 second half points. Uh, Manic ended up with 14 points. Baycott, 21 rebounds, 11 points. Even Leaky Black scored for them with nine points. It wasn't scoring well. Both teams shot 42%. But Duke, this is what I said the key was, five for 22 from three-point line. Five for 20. They could not afford to do that. Duke was 10 for 26. Not the five made threes. It was the 17 missed threes that I think really hurt them. A.J. Griffin could not, was one for seven, six points. Bonchero had 20. Williams had 17, seven, only played 17 minutes. But Jeremy Roach was two for 11. Uh, it just cannot have that for eight points. 
And that was like, that was the key thing of the game. I mean, it was really the fact that Duke got away from getting Boncher, who I think is going to be a very good NBA basketball player. And he's 6'9", and he's a wide body to get him in and get him good shots and draw fouls. But instead, they're firing threes up. And that's cost them this game. It cost them against Michigan State with R.J. Barrett and Zion Williamson. It cost them against Arkansas. It's cost them in all these times. I just can't understand these guards. And I, I, Jeremy Roach was doing all the smart things, penetrating, not just settling for the three. They didn't need the three. They took it, missed it, and that's why they lost. You you said exactly this on the show last week. You, you nailed what that went two weeks ago, saying exactly what this team needed to do to win and what would prevent them from winning. And you were exactly right, Ira. And it's it, you know it's kind of depressing and sad when you know that that's coming and it ends up being the result. But you you know you nailed it on this one once again. Yeah, it's just and it's real. It's a tough loss. I mean, it really it just. I felt like there was a moment in the first second half when Duke took that lead. You felt like, boy, Carolina can't shoot. Caleb Love is going to be off. But he did the same thing as UCLA. He started out slow in the first half, scored like four points again, and then just the second half. And I'm like, Duke knows that Caleb Love gets hot. Like, not to, to be able to defend him and let a guard like that shoot and have these. It wasn't just the wide open threes, it was the drives. There was no having Williams out of the game. They weren't coming and blocking the shots. It was poor defense on Duke's part, poor offense on Duke's part, poor everything. I mean, they just barely lost the game. But this is a team that the national championship was there, but also the loss to Carolina was really bad. And I know they said at the end of the game, I want to say one point, there was a point where they said Duke didn't shake hands, but when Carolina won at the point, they ran on the court. I don't think, and then they ran over. Now Duke, Duke, I felt like Duke wasn't going to stand there and let Carolina celebrate and wait to shake hands. Like Carolina didn't go to shake hands. They ran on the court. So I'm going to defend Duke on this point. They just walked off. So I didn't think it was that so crazy. Like, what are they supposed to do? Walk around the court and shake hands? I mean, it, the game's over. They walked out. If Carolina doesn't want to form a line, it's not up to Duke to do that. <laughs> no, you're, you're right on that one. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. So Ira, this is not Greenville, South Carolina, where you are. You're hanging out in New Orleans. So what did you do after the game and what, uh, what took up your time on Sunday? Well, I'll tell you what, on Sunday they had this festival. So it's by the waterfront, and uh, it was just amazing. They, have, they could have, I think they have 17,000, might have 12 or 13,000. I was like trying to buy tickets to this. They're like, it's free, it's free. I'm like, well, I got to get in. No, it's free. Like, I talked to the organizer, just go. We want people there. And it was like, they love these festivals with a lot of, uh, and it's part of the NCAA. It was, they, it, trust me, if you went there, if you didn't see a Capital One commercial, every, in between every act, they had Capital One, Capital One. And then Charles Barkley came out, and it was so funny. He was so wasted drunk. He was so, <laughs> he was swearing and everything. I'm like, Capital One is not not going to put this in the commercial. I mean, they had Capital One banners everywhere. I'm sure they were hoping to, but he was giving these predictions. He was singing Sweet Caroline. He was, it was just hilarious, but he was like, he was so drunk. And like, then they tried to spin him around like he was dancing. I was like, oh my God, don't do that. Like, this could be wrong. I don't think he needs to, someone who's drunk should be like going in circles, but it was just funny. It was great. But I saw Trombone Shorty, which was a good New Orleans jazz band, which was tremendous. They were very, very good. And then at night we came back and I saw uh, Macklemore, who I have not seen in person before. And this Macklemore is, is like the energy. Macklemore should be a, prof- a professional sports athlete because Macklemore is running around. This stage is great. They have that song Downtown. I'm talking music now. This is like, you know, but um, it was fantastic. And the, the, it was just, I mean, there was 15,000 people going crazy and nuts and he was so into it. And then he ended it. It was so great when he's finished. He said, uh, I mean, it wasn't just standing up there singing. He literally was just everywhere. And people were all over the stage. He has 
dancers and this. It was, it was Broadway production all over the place. And he said, this is, thank you for reminding me why I love my job. Thank you so much. <laughs> it was so great. And then when he was done, then there was a break. And then Imagine Dragons came out. And they were like the headliner act, even though Macklemore was good at, in, a, in a name in itself. And Imagine Dragons was famous. It was packed. And I got great videos. We're really close to the stage. I was got good things with that. So that was a lot of fun. And then one of my... Uh, friends who lives here i stayed with them and they uh they were able to take me to all the places where i'm staying right now to like zang bistro had peking duck there and there's doors metropolitan and croissant ore i've been here and i don't know like the local stuff i had one friend one time who drove me a couple times it was great to be able like i get lost in, in the french quarter just walking like i can't I, my car is like a half a block away and i'm like walking around four blocks to get my car i'm so confused <laughs> here. but uh but i went to gene lafitte's house which from mimosas which is like the oldest bar in all of new orleans and it was pretty cool i mean it was just great but those concerts last night they had fireworks afterwards was great and and it was just but everybody there was carolina duke nova kansas you know, that that aspect of it was really cool and i think that's what i didn't get in San, when you were in san francisco it was like nothing everyone spread around and if it was in new york it'd be the same thing that's why it's so good to have a town like new orleans or even at greenville where you're out and seeing other everyone's wearing their outfits they're, they're here they're, they're showing their 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 colors no, you nailed it. Perfect place to hold a uh, tournament or, or a big event like this where everyone can kind of come together and have a ton of fun. So, Ira, less than two hours from now, we will be tipping off and determining this year's national champion. What do you expect here between North Carolina and Kansas? Well, you know, they met in 1957. Uh, Carolina beat Kansas. Uh, uh, Carolina won in three overtimes over Wilt Chamberlain. So this shows how far back this goes. And then in 1993, Carolina won in the semifinals. In 2008, Kansas won in the semifinals. The interesting part of this game, I thought, was Roy Williams. Roy Williams was the coach of Kansas for 15 years. He went to four Final Fours, never won a title. But no legend at Kansas for doing that. But then, And they kept wanting. He was Dean Smith's longtime assistant, never went to North Carolina. After Dean Smith retired, they got Ridge, and then uh, they, and they, were, they were trying to get him to come on. He didn't come. And then finally, at the last, after the program had a lot of problems and everything, he decided to join them. He went to Carolina then for 18 years, and he won uh, th- uh, three national championships, seven, uh, five Final Fours, all those things. So that's really, it was like, you know, that's where the aspect of, in terms of the, the, the Roy Williams idea that he was the star coach at Kansas, and now he's the star coach at Carolina. And Bill Self is, is, is looking to win this for Kansas. I mean, this is Kansas' is a story program. They invented basketball in Kansas. And so you have the two, you talk about the word, the term blue blood. This is, this is about as blue blood as you can get <laughs> between Carolina and Kansas. I, I just, I can't believe that Carolina is going to shoot poorly in this game. I think that Baycock, as long as he's healthy, he's going to outplay McCormick. I think they're going, I think Love is going to shoot. I think Manic is going to shoot. Um, remember, Carolina beat Baylor. They took down Baylor. They took down Duke. I really, I think Kansas is very, very good. I expect a good game. I think Abaji will play well. I, I, I think he's going to score. He's shooting well. They seem to be handling the shots, but they just don't have Caleb Love, and Caleb Love just is will just can will just is to me just playing at a super. You see this in the NCAA tournament. Some people just can take it over, and he seems to be taking this tournament over. And if they just get any shooting for Manic and Baycock gets the rebounding, I think that Carolina wins this. But I expect a great game. But I, I am surprised the line is four. I thought it'd be like one or two. I was surprised that Carolina's a four-point underdog, but that's more motivation for them to try to win this. And Baycott is uh, dealing with a little bit of an ankle issue. The issue they are saying right now that he is cleared to play tonight. So that's good news uh, for UNC. This is Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. And Ira, here we go. It's Masters Week. I, I You'd mentioned last week that you're going to be there. Have, do we have any updates on getting Ira into Augusta? 
Well, I'm going. So Tuesday, <laughs> the thing is, that it's supposed to, I, was, I was thinking not going to this game and then going Tuesday, but Tuesday's going to be a rain-out day. They're not going to even play there. So um, you don't expect it's going to be a 100% chance of rain almost most of the day. So I'll go Wednesday. I just found out you can even bring your cell I thought you could, I know you could take pictures, but you can even bring your cell phones on Wednesday. So really? no cell phone, no live updates, but I'll bring my camera. So the goal is to get pictures. Like, I really want some pictures of Augusta. So I'll go Wednesday, get pictures. There's supposed to be rain in the morning a little bit. Then I'll go Thursday just to the event. And then uh, just so my two days at Masters will hopefully be Wednesday or Thursday. If, you know, we'll see where ticket prices go on Thursday if Tiger plays. I might get shut out from, from that. It's, this, is not, this is a very hard thing to, to get tickets for. I need brokers for, and it's not, there's not many, so many tickets. But I've never been to the Masters. I really want to go. This works out perfectly. I'm like eight hours away from being in New Orleans, so I think I just drive over there. So I'm pumped for this. And I've been to uh, three U.S. Opens, PGA, two PGA Championships, never been to the British Open, but... This is one of the bucket lists. I mean, I'm running out of bucket list things to be, to be at, and this is, this is one that I really got to hit right now. I mean, God, I want to make it. So I really want to go to this and get in. So this will be, this is, I'm excited. I'm pumped. Uh, no, I'm excited for, for this as well, and I can't wait. Make sure you're following Ira across all social media at Ira on Sports. See what kind of inside picks he can get uh, from Augusta. So let's talk about it, Ira. I don't remember the Masters being this wide open. I mean, you're looking at, the, the, the people who are going to be playing, and I feel like I could make a case for about 20 people that, that could walk out of here with the hardware. It's wide open as compared to some years in the past. It's amazing. That's why betting this is great, why watching it is great. There's 90 people entered in the tournament. And I said, we're taping the show now. If Tiger makes an announcement, we're taping just a few hours before. If Tiger makes an announcement, he's in or out, then I, I missed it. But, I, but the point is that <laughs> With Tiger in or out, that would make it 89 as if he's, out, if he's out. He's in right now. So he's in the tournament at 90. Um, remember, there's, there's, there's some players that have no chance whatsoever. I mean, no tournament would let uh, uh, 10 past champions like Bernard Langer, Freddie Couples, uh, Mike Weir, Jole Alfabel, Larry Mice, Andy Lyle. <laughs> it's like 80, you know, play. So you have, this, you, have a, you have a small field anyway. And then you have these players. Then you have all these amateurs, no amateurs than at the top anything would, you know, as they said, the terrorists played great last year, but, uh, but you, so you don't really expect an amateur to make any competition. So you're really looking, but there are, but the players that are in the, say the top 60, any one of them can win. I mean, that is that how the, how this breaks down. And, and it's, what's interesting about to me, this masters, I, I we haven't talked about this. So I'm interested in who you think, but um, you have the star name players, that have played well in the Masters but are having bad years. And then you have the main players that have never really played that good in the Masters before but are having good years. I'm going to tell you who that is in a second. And then you have the people who have been good at the Masters or are having a good year. And then you have people that are just really not ever played the Masters but are just super hot right now. And you put that all mixed all together. And, you know, you could make the case. There are a little, you sit here and say, I think this player is going to make it. There, there's a, you have a good shot to make it. Everyone can make it because you have all these, everybody comes in with a different mindset. Mindset, I think. No, you're absolutely right. And like, like you said, with the odds, I mean, you can get, I know Hideki Matsuyama is dealing with a little bit of a neck injury, um, but he's plus 4,000 right now. He's the reigning champ. <laughs> like, it's kind of crazy how much money you could make on this if you nail one of these winners, but it is just such a wide open field. So I want to talk about, uh, you know, who we think's got a shot here. Well, I, you know, I'll tell you what. So these, I said name players that have played well in the Masters before, but having a bad year. How about John Rahm? He's finished. Uh, uh, in terms of the last couple of years, 12th, 4th, and, I mean, uh, no, he's finished uh, 4th, ninth, 7th, and 5th. <laughs> and, uh, and he's 10 to 1 off. But he has had no top 10 in the last four tournaments. He's really not looked good this year. He's lost the, we told you he should have been losing number one a while. So he's played well in the Masters. 
if Rahman was coming in playing well, I'd have more confidence. But, you know, he's finished at four straight top tens. Just nervous about that. DJ, Dustin Johnson, uh, he, he's great in the Masters. He won it before. He had six, four, ten, two, and one, and missed the cut the last time. But he hasn't had a top 25 in any tournament. He was ninth in the players, but he's just been terrible at these tournaments. So I'm, I'm a little nervous to say Dustin Johnson. I, mean, I always said if Dustin Johnson's playing well, then bet on him. But I'm just nervous about that. Uh, Rory uh, has been phenomenal in the Masters. He hasn't won it, but he's been seventh, fifth, uh, fifth, you know, been great. He missed the cut last year, but he hasn't really played well this year in terms of 33rd for the players. He missed the cut to Valero. I'm not sold that Rory's going to do well. And then you have someone like Spieth, Jordan Spieth, who you can't, his numbers are amazing. I mean, second, first, second, uh, third, uh, a third, you know, so many top fives really in this tournament, but he's finished 60th, 26th, 35th, missed cuts. He's really been playing bad in this speed. He's like Dustin Johnson. If he's not really playing well. I'm, I just can't go with him. But the one player I really like from those type, that group would be Brooks. I mean, Brooks, as we know, is, just tremendous. I mean, he's in the, he's, you know, finished uh, uh, second and seventh uh, in, in, in the, in the, in the masters uh, since 2017, he's played 16 majors, 13 of them. He's been in the top 10, 13 of 16. Mm-hmm. Now he's not really, he's third in Phoenix, missed the cut of the players, 12th of the Valspar. Uh, but at 20 to one, if you can't, I got to bet Brooks. I got to say he's my favorite to win this. And then there's a, a player that I feel that is played well. I said player that played well in the masters, and in the four, he's been a, he's been a fifth, a second, and a tenth, and he's playing really well now. He's one of the players, Cam Smith. So he's young, been playing great, seems to well play, and he's sixteen to one. So you get Cam at sixteen to one, you get Brooks at twenty to one. I would bet those. And then, look, Richter Hovland really hasn't done anything at Masters. They're always young, but he's playing lights out golf. I would I would think that he's one of the hottest players right now at twenty to one. I'd put money on him too. So I think that would be someone who I'd be thinking about uh, betting betting on now. People like Morikawa, but Morikawa suddenly last few tournaments hasn't played well. He really hasn't played well at the Masters before. So, but I'm I, I, when I started doing this, I'm like I like Cam Smith and I like Brooks. So and Hovland, I think Hovland is like if you want to go someone young, you know that and get I think what is it twenty to one? Do that. Brooks at twenty to one and Cam Smith at sixteen to one. So those are my I guess my three that I would I'm trying to I would put money on. It's funny, you know, I, I almost completely agree with you. I, I like Cam Smith a lot because. He's coming in hot, and we know that Augusta is totally different than any other golf course. But what I, that's what I'll take Cam Smith and Scotty Scheffler just off how they're playing right now. They're as you know, Cam Smith's putting has been as good as anyone I've ever seen in my life over the last you know two months, and Scotty Scheffler is just playing lights out right now. So I would take them too. And we've been saying it on the show for five years: Brooks Kepka in a major tournament. Get him, get some money on him. I mean, get, get a little action on Brooks Kepa because he's always seems to be there on Sunday making it competitive. Regardless, Ira, I'm super excited for this, and I can't wait to hear more about you know you actually getting the tickets, getting in because you've never attended the Masters before, and it's a, a nice no, little bucket let, list cross off. And let me let me talk about Sheffler for a second. I, I I was I put him. He's a 16 to one, and Cam Smith is 16 to one. So I think it's interesting they're the same odds. Sheffler is as hot as Cam Smith is. They're both super hot. But Scheffler's had a 19th and an 18th in the Masters. Now, he's young, so you never know. Like, you could, you know, start next five years, be first, second, first, second, first, second. But I'm just a little nervous about the experience. So I'm trying to give – I like the fact that Cam Smith has played there and played well, and Brooks has played. So I'm thinking I'm trying to give some credit to, to the experience. I'm not saying Scheffler's going to be great, but I love – that's why I like those two. And, and Hovland really just is someone who I, I saw – I mean – I'll tell you what, at the Genesis, when I followed him around, he was just, he is lights out playing golf. And, and it's just, there's some weird, I'll 
bounces and things like that. And I just think he has the total game. I mean, Victor Hovland could be someone who's going to be 24 years old. I mean, he's someone who could be number one for five years. I mean, he, that's how good he is. And so I think that this might be his breakout, you know, major win, something like that. So, but, uh, but no, but your point about Scheffler is, you know, he's as hot as he hot can be. And I just see how that translates into the masters. Yeah. I'll be keeping my eye on Hovland as well. And I completely agree with you. He's, been playing so well. And someone else who I'm, I'm going to kind of leave up there is Gary Woodland. And I know that sounds a little weird, Ira. You know, since he won a major, he pretty much fell off the face of the earth. But very quietly over the last three months, he's been playing pretty darn good golf. Uh, he cashed a nice paycheck this this past weekend. So he's someone, if you can get it, you know, 60, 65 to 1, I wouldn't mind throwing 10 bucks on Gary Woodland. Well, I'm going to say, this is why I like Woodland. Woodland was 70 to 1. 70, now, Woodland yeah. has really, in nine times he's played the Masters, not even the top 25. So he hasn't played the Masters well. But it's going to be very windy for a few days. Remember when he won the U.S. Open? Now, I was there at Pebble Beach. It was really windy. Like, that was – and if there's a course it's going to, you're going to have trouble with. And he – you know, this was the best field in golf. Everybody's playing great. This was right before the pandemic. I mean, he played on those four days some of the best golf. I, you know, if you talk about, like, the high of the high, it's hard to play as well as he did and win like he did in the conditions that he played. And he's healthy now. Remember, he got hurt. And he's playing every week. He was, he's played, like, five straight – talk about players who don't play. I mean, he's playing Honda. He's playing you – know, <laughs> He plays every tournament. He's like the old time, you know, he's like playing every tournament you could imagine. And you're thinking someone who's playing like this, who feels healthy, if he gets lightning and goes, I mean, he has a, he clearly can, has the skill level to shoot low for four rounds and do that. So you're right. I love what, that's a great 71, 71 pick, put a hundred bucks down on that, you know, then you're set for a long time. It, it might it might be a, a real long shot here, but what about, you know, friend of the show, Taylor Gooch? We've had him on before. He's 100 to 1, been playing pretty good golf coming into this IRA. At 100 to 1, I, I don't know if you heard this, he got in trouble because he was on the putting green wearing shorts uh, earlier today and got in trouble. You're not allowed to wear shorts anywhere at Augusta, but that's another guy that, you know, he's coming in pretty good. He's, he's ranked uh, 34th in the world right now, 6th in the FedEx Cup rankings. You're getting 100 to 1 on the guy? I'll throw 10 bucks on that. Yeah, we had him in the on the. Uh, we had him last year before the Honda, so it was great. No, clearly he is a great putter. Uh, just and again, it's these so many great young. You're, you're, when you're trying to analyze this, you look at all these people that have experience. But there's so many good young golfers out there, and you're like, well, they're going to have to do. They're going to have to win sometime. You know, they're going to have to start winning these now. So the Masters is experience matters. That's why it's so great. You have the experience with people with that, but also people are playing well. Everything's coming together. No one misses this. If you're healthy, you know, Tiger's doing everything possible. He's probably two months or three months away from where he should be on the course playing. But he knows that if the Masters came in May, he'd 100% play this. But I think he's just trying to get ready to go, and he's 50 to 1. I mean, I, I think it'd be insane to think that he, anyone thinks he's going to win this. I mean, after not playing any golf for a year, over a year, it would be impossible. I mean, it would be the greatest. It, I mean, his my Masters went two years ago. Two years ago was the biggest thing. It was the biggest sport. I, I just can't imagine it had two years ago that it would happen, but we'll see. Yeah, I'm not putting... I, I hope he just plays. I, I, yeah, I just want to see him out there. That, that's all I'm hoping yeah. for. Make a cut would be great. But yeah, you know, it, it's, it's if he does, it would be truly, truly phenomenal. Ira on Sports, True Oldies Channel. I'm Mike Balsamo. So Ira, I think you did something every day this past week. If it wasn't traveling, you were at an event and you took in a lot of tennis. Yeah, well, I went on Thursday. I usually go to the Miami Open. I love the Miami Open. I went to Key Biscayne. It moved to, to, to Fort Lauderdale at the Hard Rock Stadium. And I just went down Thursday because, and I couldn't believe nobody was there. It was very empty during the day. Now, at night it got busy. I saw Medvedev, who is the 
one or two in the world. His rankings are fluctuating, but he won the U.S. Open last year. I remember over Djokovic, like, stop Djokovic from the slam. He's the Russian, played in the doll in the finals of the Australian Open, five sets, tremendous. And then Naomi Osaka was playing, too. So I got to see Medvedev, I got to see Osaka, and the ticket was, like, very cheap, too. So I was, like, he's in great seat. I got great pictures right behind. Um, when you go there, if you can sit at the lower level behind the servers, it's a perfect seat, really, for, for tennis. The problem is that up higher, it's awful. <laughs> it's not awful, but it's hard to get in the seat. People are slipping and falling. I mean, I've never gone to a sporting event where I see so many people are like, bad. like I, the sick ticket I got was that someone, one of their friends fell for the night match. I was ready to leave, and they had these, and I, I saw online, like the first row of the upper level went for like $20. I was like, oh, I might as well get that. It's an okay seat. I go there, and I go, what happened? You know, it's amazing. Oh, our friend, they fell, and I, they're bleeding. And then everyone was like injured because it's so hard to walk up and down those stairs. But Anyway, um, I saw uh, during the day, Medvedev ended up losing to Hubert Hercos, who we had on our show, who won Delray. He's playing great. He won 7-6-6-3 over Medvedev. And Medvedev had trouble with the heat, all those stuff. But the great thing about Hercos is he's a very good return of serve. Medvedev's skill is serving, just like Djokovic created a return of serve. But he's able to neutralize that, serve well, and a big upset. You know, Hercos beating Medvedev was big. And then, uh, and then in the, the, the other match I saw was, um, was Osaka uh, beat Belinda Bensik of Switzerland. Now, Bensik won the gold medal. So, um, and Osaka's not even ranked now because she's been losing. But she won, lost the first set 4-6, then won 6-3, 6-4. Osaka looks like she, you know, this tournament, she's serving much better. Second serve is weak, and she's playing well. She ended up losing in the final to Swiatek from Poland, who now be the number one player in the world. But Osaka, um, after the Indian Wells, I think she said she saw a psychologist. She seemed to be more motivated, not, not so emotional, even though she did cry after the match. Uh, but she seemed to be – but, again, I don't think she's moving well. I think if anything about Osaka, in order for her to – just get better is she has to move well. She seems slow when she moves um, and doesn't get to the ball as fast enough. And that, that she, she, when she's standing there straight, she's going to hit winners all the time. But if people make her move, it's harder. And Bensick wasn't able to get the serves in and move around. That's why she ended up losing that match. But at night, I saw Carlos Al- uh, Alcaraz, who is uh, the 18-year-old Rafael Nadal's protege from Spain, who could be uh, one of the top players you know, going forward. He ended up winning the tournament. He beat Kasparov in Norway in the final, but uh, uh, Alcaraz beat Turkash in the semifinals and also beat Titsipas in the fourth round. It was a big win. This is for a young player, 18, to win a Masters 1000. It was a huge victory for him in terms of winning that. I saw him at night, though, against this Kecmanovic from Serbia, and they played one of the most, I mean, it was the t- match of the tournament. It went on. I thought, oh, I'll just stay, see what happens if I'll be over fast. It was like a two-and-a-half-hour match. And I knew I'd have to drive the next day. And he ended up winning in the third set, 7-6, seven, 7-5 seven, in, the, in, the, in a tiebreaker when he was down in the tiebreaker. So it was, it was fun to see that. They both are like hard-hitting guys, lots exciting. The fans were into it. It was fun. So that was good. And, uh, but Kazmatovic beat Jack Sock, American. He beat Korda, American. He beat Taylor Fritz, who won the NWL. He knocked out all the American <laughs> players in the tournament. But uh, Alcaraz win, you know, winning the, the, the Miami and then Iga Swiatek uh, beating Naomi Sakin for the women's champion. And now um, there's a couple more tournaments in America, and then they move in the clay court season and go to play the French Open. And, and Red Development is now undergoing hernia surgery, so we're not going to play in that. But it, the Miami Open is fun, even if you hate tennis, which a lot of you will do, but go there <laughs> for the parties. It, the whole outside of it is just, there were a 30 bars. Like, there's so many inside. They create this whole atmosphere. People are just, I mean, when I'm in during the day and there's nobody watching the tennis, and this is bad to bed, but then I go outside and there's like all these people outside, like drinking and partying. It's like a big party. It's Miami. It's a club. It's music flair. And those things. Like, like, when the players are playing, it talks about quiet 
I heard everyone's they're building this stuff for the Formula One. You had the people outside having this, you know, the, 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 you could hear the, the, the club scene. You know, it's like hilarious. But and that gets to the other point is that the, the Formula One's here the first second week of May, uh, I think May eighth. And they were building all outside the stadium. They're not running through the stadium, but they're building these tra- that track and the stands on the outside. And it looks amazing. I stood like I got a picture. I was like standing right on the, tra- the, the back stretch in terms of when they go down the, 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 with the stands. It was pretty cool. Got yelled at for standing there. <laughs> but uh, this is going to be a big thing for Miami to, to have the Formula One race there at the beginning of May. So, Ira, here we are, three days away. And... Unfortunately, it's probably going to get overshadowed a little bit by the Masters, especially if Tiger Woods plays, but baseball is back. Opening day is this Thursday. We're thrilled about this. You've been going to baseball games, uh, you know, as soon as they open back up here for spring training, you were there. Go to uh, at Iron Sports across social media. Do you always sit right behind home plate? Like, you get the best seats just a little bit to the left of center. It's like the perfect seat, and we've got the perfect venues here in West Palm for it. Yeah, I mean, I wish we got three weeks of uh, baseball, but I saw Tuesday the Mets beat the Marlins 10 nothing. Uh, Francisco Lindor. I mean, you saw we, Mike and I just had a fantasy baseball draft, and I was drafting all these. I'm looking for bounce-back years from it. Like, Lindor last year was terrible. He signed a $350 million contract, but he had a home run in the game. He had four RBIs for, this, for the spring training. He has five home runs. He looks amazing. Looks in amazing shape. It's just tremendous. I think so. he is going to have a great year. And they have Sterling Marte, Brandon Nimmo, uh, Alonzo, McNeil. I like the Mets. I mean, the Mets, all the bad news was DeGrom has hurt and that uh, Scherzer was a little tightness. But I saw Chris Bassett pitch, the, the one the Mets got, the pitcher from the A's. He pitched five shutout innings. The Marlins looked terrible. The Marlins were making mistakes. I mean, it, the Marlins, it was, there was a play, the pitcher, I, and I'm, I don't know, I forget who was who, but the pitcher went to try to do a pickoff on second base. He turned around, and he threw the ball, and there was nobody there. And the ball just sailed in the outfield. Like, it was bad news bears and breaking and training. Like, it was unbelievable. And, like, all the Mets are scoring. Like, it was out of a movie. Like, he just turned around and just threw the ball, and the center fielder couldn't even get the ball because it was just this, he just whipped it to second base. It was so bad. But I don't think... I think, the, I think there's a lot of expectation for the Marlins, but I was not impressed with that game. And then Friday I went to the game, it rained. It's one thing when you go to spring training in baseball in Florida, it rained after two innings. So I saw the Mets versus the Cardinals, and DeGrom was supposed to start that game, but he didn't. And because, of course, he's now he's out for two or three months. But uh, it rained, and then I left. So I can't really report anything. And none of the play, they put both minor leaguers in that game. But so I really saw one game on Tuesday, and Friday was like two innings. So anything you want to, we want to talk about here before the uh, you know season will be started by the time we talk again. So what are you anticipating for this baseball season? This is a really – I feel like a couple of these divisions are really top-heavy, and there's a, a, a low floor in some of these divisions where some teams are just going to be really bad. It's – you know, I went through – let's start the National League first. I – Look, the Braves, you got to like what the moves they made. I mean, they lost Freeman, but they brought Olsen in. They have young pitchers that were hurt last year. You think they're going to play better this year. Acuna, they won the World Series with their best player. How many people said they lose their – it's like they got Acuna as a free agent, who's their own player, who was hurt all of the <laughs> second part of last year, and now he's back. So the point is, the Bra- you got to think the Braves are the favorite. I like the Mets, and I like the Phillies. I think the Phillies have a lot right now, but it, but it was the Nats are a mess. I mean, the Nats – yeah, after winning the World Series, I mean, they've gone to nothingness. And the Marlins, I think are, the expectations are, I think they look bad. I think they're young. I think there's some pitchers that people think are, I'm not impressed with their lineup. I don't really don't think that the Marlins are going to make the playoffs. It's like the Braves and the Phils and the Central. I like the Brewers, again. They had a good year last year, but sort of surprising. Cardinals, I think, are going to play better this year with, with Arenado and Goldschmidt. And I just think they have, they're a good And the Reds. Maybe in there, Cubs and Pirates. No, I put the Cubs, the Pirates, and the Nationals. Maybe the Marlins. 
you know, not really a chance. Pirates have zero chance. And then the West, I guess the question is, well, the question is, that to me, the Dodgers, again, are going to win 110, 115 games. Like, they're going to run away. I think there's no one. They're going to win the division. Uh, we talked about this earlier. There's a designated hitter. They have more players. They have, they're the only team that they don't have to. Like, there's so many players now with the designated hitter. They're, they're Freddie Freeman. They're going to be dominant. So I like them. And the question is, the Giants, could they, are Giants going to win 100 games or they could win 80? You know, like, are they, they were surprised <laughs> last year. Are they going to keep that up? And then if the Padres without Tatis, you know, the Padres are spending a fortune. Are they going to be up there? And so you're looking at, I guess, three, five, like nine teams for seven spots. So that's sort of what you're trying to figure out what, and then a couple of teams eliminated. Um, what's your, what's your feeling on the National League? Well, I'd like to say that, there's always a surprise team. Last year, it was the Giants. Nobody anticipated them winning the division over the Dodgers. Like I, said, I, I can't see it happening again. I think the Padres will be better. They just landed Sean Manea uh, from the A's. Really good pitcher there. I, 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 I'm a little bit worried about some of the other divisions. The East, I think, is wide open. And I, I'm not going to say the Mets are in yet. Especially, with, we don't know what's going on with Scherzer. I think DeGrom misses at least three months. I, I can't see him being back uh, any sooner than that. So I think they're going to have some trouble there. It's hard to go against the Braves. Um, one thing that I will say is interesting, with Oakland now shedding that uh, Manea salary, Max Scherzer makes more than the entire team, Ira. that's not, <laughs> Something's not good there. But I do want to tell people to watch out for this. The Mariners' top prospect, Julio Rodriguez, he's ranked number three in all of baseball. They're skipping him from AAA. He played 42 games at AA last year. They said, you don't need it. You're making the starting roster. I'm not going to be surprised if the Mariners win the West, win the AL West. This, this team, they added Robbie Ray, last year's Cy Young Award winner. They had an excellent breakout player last year in Jared Kelenic. Now they've got their other stud coming up. I'm not going to be surprised if the Mariners make a run here and make it into the playoffs. And that's something they haven't done in a while. Wow, you know, and then in the AL, I, you know, I, I don't know what I don't know what to say about the Yankees. I mean, last year you saw how calm. Me neither. I, I thought they were. I just, I just think their pitching is a mess. I'm not sure about that. I just don't know about them at all. I don't know what, and that's why the Rays, like I, I, the Rays have no money. Like you're again, I just don't get the Rays. But you're thinking the Yankees and Red Sox are just gonna just. They're going to run into each other. Like it's just it's weird. And plus, the Rays get to play the Orioles all the time, win free games over that. Um, I mean, there's so many bad teams in the American League. The, the, the Guardians are terrible. The Cleveland Indians are bad. The A's are absolutely horrendous. The Orioles are absolutely horrendous. And you know, you really like the fact that you know the Angels and the Astros. I, I like the. I feel like finally, I think the Angels are going to play well this year. I think the Angels are the team that you know I think could finally do. Uh, I, I like this year. I finally Otani and Trout will stay healthy. And Rendon, like they look like this is finally would have a good year. So the Angels to me are kind of in the situation that the Yankees are in, where after Otani or after Garrett Cole, who's throwing for them? You know, like they've got hitters. They're going to put guys on base. They're going to score runs. I don't trust the bullpens, and I don't trust the second through fifth starter. So those are a little bit more tough for me. That's why I might give this edge, like I said, uh, to the Mariners here. The AL Central, not really scared of anyone there. And don't forget about Toronto. I mean, they still have. The young core with Biggio, Bichette, and Vlad Guerrero, all you know, great baseball players, kids, all on the same team. Vlad Guerrero hit 49 home runs last year. I'm not counting Toronto out either. That AL East is going to be a battle, and I'm just not going to be surprised when the Rays come out of it once again, Ira. Seems to happen uh, constantly. What do you think if you had to throw out some MVPs and Cy Youngs? How do you not give it to Otani in, again? Like, if Otani can pitch and stay healthy— and Otani hits and hits 30, 40 home runs. Like, it's like Otani, Otani should win the, as long as Otani stays healthy 
and pitches at a normal level and whatever, how does he? How are you not the MVP? I mean, how are you not the MVP when you pitch and hit and you're the only one doing that in the league? It's like really going to block everybody from winning the MVP if Otani just does what he did last year. Now, maybe people get tired of it and think it's not so special, but it's hard to think that if a guy's going to hit, have a three ERA, win 12, 13 games, and hit 40 home runs, that he can't be the MVP. You're going to give someone who, well, what do you do? Uh, I hit 40 home runs. Well, what you have a pitching? Nothing. I don't pitch. I'm a hitter. <laughs> like, how are you going to give it to somebody? Like, how does Otani not get the MVP? And then in the in the National League, I'm so high on the Dodgers. I think look, I'm waiting Mookie Betts. Like, I think Betts is going to have – I think that they're loaded with talent, and I think Betts is just going to have – every time he comes to bat, he's going to have men on base. You can't pitch around any of the Dodgers. I, I look fine. I like Betts to come through with a, a huge year. Dodgers win games. And I think they might just give it to – oh, look, the Dodgers have won all these games. Betts' numbers are so high, and I think Betts will get it. And then that's why I think Bueller might win the Cy Young, too. But it's hard. You know, Cy Young's now have become – it's hard. It used to – you could predict it, but now it's so much with uh, uh, analytics that they use, and, like, DeGrom can win five games and still get it, and some. <laughs> crazy number. So I think it's harder to do the Cy Youngs. The, 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 not, the MVPs look like they go. You can sort of understand. I think Cy Youngs are more just analytical, you know, they and analyze those things. So we got about five minutes left here. Let's move on to the NBA, Ira. And we'll talk about both conferences, but I have to just bring up, you know, we, it's been kind of a recurring theme here on Iron Sports that the Lakers are just having some kind of fall from grace. And this is just getting worse and worse right now. They're out of a playoff spot. How do we look right now? Well, they're two games out of the playoff spot, and they're and they lost to the Pelicans, and they have now uh, four games to go. They've lost six in a row. They play uh, Golden State, Phoenix, Denver, Oklahoma City, and if San Antonio. And I predicted this. I want to predict this about a month ago. I said, look. Portland has a better record. There's uh, Oklahoma City might have been in there. It seemed like the Lakers. They go. There's one team because I think Popovich is going to maybe retire after this year. One team that's going to try to get in the playoffs, not going to tank the season, would be San Antonio. And look, San Antonio's they're not winning every game, but they're at least winning some games. And the Lakers keep losing. And remember, the Lakers are losing games with LeBron. They're losing games with Eddie Davis, who came back. They're losing games with Russell Westbrook. Westbrook has only missed one game all year. Um, LeBron now is hurt. He sat the last game out. But uh, the loss to the Pelicans was horrendous. They were leading the entire game and blew that. But the magic number for the Spurs is two. Any combination of two Spurs wins and two Laker losses, and the Spurs are going to be the 10th seed, and the Lakers will be out. And in the West, the Suns, have, as expected, lost a couple games. Memphis, it's, it's really weird. I really believe that, that this is just it's not going to, the West is not going to be fun to watch. I think the Suns are going to run away with this um, in terms of, because your teams like Dallas with Doncic are nice players, but they really are missing maybe another player. Denver, Jokic is waiting for Murray to come back or Michael Porter Jr. And Utah's good, but I mean, there'll be some good series, but I am just not sold on Memphis. I mean, Taylor Jenkins, their coach, is, he should be coach of the year. They've now won seven in a row without John Moran. They're only seven games back behind the Suns. Remember, the Golden State is 12 and a half behind the Suns. Memphis is doing this with, you can't even name another, I can name met the team, but most people couldn't even name another player besides John Moran on that team. And uh, it's just a miracle that they're, they're the second-best record in the NBA. It, and then in the East, well, go ahead. No, I was going to say, it reminds me of Joe Burrow and the and the Bengals, a turnaround they had, but it'd be if Joe Burrow wasn't playing and the Bengals were still went from the worst team in the league to making the Super Bowl. It's kind of what we're seeing with Memphis. That is exactly correct. It's like if it's like Joe Burrow got knocked out like in week twelve, and the, the Bengals are still winning like two games. <laughs> I guess it would be like sort of like Philadelphia with Nick Foles, but even, yeah. even more surprising than that because Carson Wentz was viewed as like John Moran. So it's crazy. Then in the East, 
I'll tell you what, the Heat right righted the ship. They they beat Sacramento, which is horrendous, and then they beat Boston, Chicago, Toronto, and now they have a two game lead. They're sort of they are now going to lock that number one seat up. Boston is back. Boston, Milwaukee, the Seventy Sixers all sort of tied with that two back. So you have no idea with the this is the final week of the season what's going to happen. The Bulls and the Raptors are both in the playoffs. Like they're five and a half back. They're fifth and sixth. And then the uh, playing games. The teams are set: Cavs, Hawks, Hornets, and Nets. But the order of what that's going to happen, and what that means is, remember, nine plays ten and seven plays eight. All seven, all the, the seven eight winner has to do is win one game. If you lose the seven eight game, then you play the nine ten game. The winner of the nine ten game, and uh, it gives you chance. It gives you a chance to win. Like if you win one game, you're in. If you're seven or eight, but right now the Nets are ten. That means if they lose the nine ten game, they're done. The season's over. No Kyrie, no Kevin Durant. Could you imagine a playoffs with a healthy Durant, healthy Kyrie, healthy LeBron? You know, all out of the playoffs, but. Uh, early in this play-in series, but we'll see what the Nets do. I mean, it'd be, it, I think that's going to be the interesting thing. One other aspect is that Toronto Raptors are, have this vaccination rule. If you go to Toronto, you have to be vaccinated. Some of these teams are unvaccinated. We're going to see that in baseball, too, when the, when, the, when the Yankees play at the Blue Jays and the Mets. I mean, a lot of these baseball players are not I mean, Toronto Blue Jays might have this great home record because these teams are going to go to Toronto with unvaccinated players who won't be able to play, and they'll be playing like a B-League team. So Toronto Blue Jays might have a very good record this year uh, against other teams. Minute or two left here, Ira. What's going on in racing? Well, Denny Hamlin was the first driver over. They have nine races this year. Denny Hamlin finally, it's been, they put this next generation car and meant that like all these teams and all these younger drivers did really well, but Hamlin in Richmond uh, was able to win. He held, he, he got new tires, used them, used them as smarts, and uh, it finished and Kevin Harvick finished second, Byron finished third, Turek fourth, and Cal Larson fifth, but it was a, a good win. I love Denny Hamlin. It's great. I love his commercials. Good win for him, and last year he was like doing well in all the races, but didn't win a race, so he couldn't get into the playoffs. This guarantees in a spot in the, in the playoffs. Formula One was off this week. Next week, they're in Australia. And if you want to get up at 1 a.m. in the morning, just like the <laughs> tennis and, and watch it, you can see there. And then they added the big thing for Formula One is they added a Vegas stop next year. They're going to do a Vegas night race, not like in the Hard Rock Stadium, but through the streets of the Strip, which is going to be through. I'm telling you, this is going to be one of the biggest events you could imagine. Vegas racing, everything. And then, of course, Miami is going to be on May 7th. Uh, Austin is the other local race. But I'm so excited for this Miami race. I was planning on the Kentucky Derby this year, but I think I'm going to go definitely go the Miami race instead uh, instead of that. So let's talk a little horse racing. We are less than five weeks away from the Kentucky Derby. That means the final of the big prep races, the 100-point win and you're in races, happened over the last week in the Arkansas Derby and also at Gulfstream, the Florida Derby, and a nice win from a, not a long shot but not one of the favorites in White Abario here in Hollandale. Yeah, I mean, White Abario won in Florida Derby. I would if I was, I probably would have gone. I used to like on Saturday go to tennis and then I go to the Florida Derby. Then I stay there and watch the final four. I could have done that thing, but I think Forbidden Kingdom has to run in the city of Anita. I was surprised that the Florida White Abario, when you look at the odds now for the Derby, doesn't have these great odds. There clearly is not a super horse. Like there's not a horse. I think it no. maybe some of the Forbidden Kingdom wins Santa Anita, but I'm waiting. You're not hearing the names of like you know this horse is definitely the super favorite. And these horses don't run enough. I mean that's the other thing is you. you you justify, you know, we started running like two or three. Now there were some horses run like seven, six, seven times. Now they're running maybe once or twice or three times at most, you know, going in. So it's really hard to just say, oh, how's this horse going to run in the Derby when they really don't even run as a two-year-old? So it's even three-year-olds, they might run one or two races. So we're almost out of time. I remind everyone what you're doing this week. Today, I'm going to the National Championship game between Kansas and Carolina, and then driving to the Masters, and I'll see the Masters on Wednesday, 
at practice round, hopefully get good pictures, and then I'll post them on Iron Sports, and then Thursday I will go to the competition, and that'll be it. I'll tell you what, I was thinking, where, what event am I going to go to for two weeks? Until the Heat have a first playoff game, there's probably nothing for me to go to where I'm going to be, so uh, I'm not going to Marlins home open or anything like that. So, um, uh, but I think, but I'm excited. This week, tonight's game will be great, and then we got Wednesday and Thursday at the Masters, so pumped for that. Well, that's what I was going to say, Marlins and Rays home openers. <laughs> take, uh, take those in. We are out of time, though. On behalf of Ira, I'm Mike. Let's talk next Monday night. Ira on sports.